We've been working this month going through the book of Psalms, um, and so we've looked, and we've called this series Praying the Psalms, because the Psalms is really the prayer book of the church, and the, the main idea of this series has been how the Psalms teaches us how to pray, and that in studying and in reading and in, indeed even in praying the Psalms, we learn how we are to talk to God and even talk about God. But this morning, we've kind of, so we've looked and trying to see, well, what are, how do the Psalms teach us how to pray in different situations? And this morning, we're going to learn about how we should pray when we sin. Because this is especially important. The Scripture tells us over and over and over again, it's a theme that God will not hear our prayers if we have unconfessed sin in our life. That sin blocks us from God. And so if that's true, if, it's, if God won't even hear our prayers unless we deal with our sin, then it's pretty important for us to figure out how to take care of that so that he can then hear what we have to say afterwards. So if you have your Bible in front of you or your copy of God's Word, however you have it, I would invite you to turn to Psalms 51. And we are going to go through that together. Um, so if you would, just as you're, you're turning there. And uh, before I read it, I just want to explain why we do what we're about to do. Because we, um, we do this every week um, where I have this practice of just reading all of God's Word that I'm about to talk about. And so we are going to read all of chapter 51 and sometimes I have people ask, well, why do you do that? Or I have other preachers who ask me, why do you do that? Well, you know, isn't that boring when we get to the good stuff? And, well, maybe it doesn't make much sense. Um, but I do it because I think the most important thing that we are doing here this morning, again, as Dale said, today is not about us. It's about God. And this preaching time is not about me and my words. It's about God and His Word. And so if you tune out after we read his word, then that's okay. I'd rather you turn out after that, not before. Um, but everything that comes after I read God's word, hopefully, is just explaining what that was. Um, and so we're also, as I read it, if you would go ahead and stand if you're able. Um, and we stand just to remind us that this isn't man's word. This is God's word. So Psalms 51. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth from the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach your transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise." 
Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem, and then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and in whole burnt offerings, and then bowls will be offered on your altar. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes this morning. Lord, that you would allow us to see you, to hear from you clearly. God, would your Holy Spirit come and illuminate our hearts? Would you give me not my words, but, but your words? When anything that just comes from me and not your word go in one ear and out the other, would we hear what you and your word has to say this morning about how we pray even in the midst of sin? We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So point number one uh, in your bulletin, your little handout, if you'd like to take notes, is that confession admits the truth about our sin and ourselves. It's proper confession admits the truth about our sin and ourselves. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. A lot of how we, this is what we should do when we sin is we need to confess. Okay, well, what does it mean to confess our sins? And what is good confession? We don't want to do bad confession. What does proper confession look like? And the psalm begins by giving us some context and telling us that this is a prayer of confession. Most of the psalms don't give us the context. We don't know. David wrote many of them, most of them. There are other authors that we know some of them. Some of them we don't know the authors. But rarely does it tell us the context of, hey, this is when this person wrote this psalm and this prayer and why. But this one does. It tells us, right, kind of at the beginning before verse 1 of this is a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he'd gone into Bathsheba. So this is coming out of a very serious situation in the life of David. As a reminder, if you're unfamiliar with it, is this is after the incident of Bathsheba and Uriah. After David, while Dean, where kings are not supposed to be, everyone else is out at war and he is at home chilling out on his palace where he can get a good view down below and see what people are doing in their own homes. And he sees a woman bathing and thinks that she looks great. I'm going to take her. And at worst, in my opinion, it seems that he abuses his authority and his power and rapes her. At best, he just abuses his power or at very least, he commits adultery. And then when he is caught, what does he do? He does not confess. He does not come clean about his sin. He decides, I'm going to try and trick her husband into getting her, thinking that he is the father of this child now. And then that doesn't work. And he goes, well, now I have to kill him. And so he has Uriah murdered. And so he's committed a number of very serious sins. And this is the moment when the prophet Nathan comes and rebukes David and says, what you have done is evil in God's sight. You thought nobody saw. You thought this was fine. But God sees. And it makes us clear too, I think, even here in saying this is after David had done what he had done with Bathsheba. The way it words it makes it clear that it's not worried about anyone else's sin other than David's in this instance. And so David is in need of confession. And you notice the way that, that David confesses his sin. He does this properly. He doesn't try to blame other people for his sin. That's what Adam did in the garden right away, isn't it? When God said, what have you done? Oh, the woman did this. I didn't do it. Yes, Eve, don't look at me, look at the serpent. It's always somebody else's fault for our sin. It's never our own. Well, proper confession doesn't blame other people for what we have chosen to do. Proper confession admits, now this is me. You see over and over in verse 1, how, you know, ask forgiveness for my transgressions, my iniquity, my sin. 
This is one and two. My, my, this isn't anyone else's God. This is my sin. This is my fault. Proper confession has to admit the truth about our sin, and the truth is it's ours. We can't blame other people for what we have chosen to do. Have other people been involved? Other people pushed us? Sure, but at the end of the day, when we stand before God, it's not between God and others, it's between God and us. And David also, he doesn't try to downplay his sin. He acknowledges the seriousness of it. He doesn't say, well, God, you know, you're kind of overreacting a little bit, don't you think? This isn't that bad, Nathan. Why don't you, you back off? I've done a lot of good here. Come me some slack. No, he admits in verse 3, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Saying, okay, I, I know. I know that what I have done is wrong. And even in the way he's saying my transgressions, my sin, my iniquity, he's using all of the words that they have to describe sinfulness. He's not leaving any of them unturned. I don't think that's just because it's the Psalms and it's poetry. I think it's also David admitting that it's his sin. He's convicted of it. The fact that they're ever before him means he's being crushed by the weight of the shame of his sin. He's laying awake at night thinking about it and beating himself up over it, realizing, yeah, this was, this was wrong. And he also acknowledges in verse 4 that this sin is against God and God alone. Verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned, and I have done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words, your words being the words of Nathan from God to David, and you are blameless in your judgment. The judgment being that Nathan has brought on David and pronounced and said, here's the judgment over your sins. What does this mean for David to say that, you know, against you and you only have I sinned? Because we've already known a little bit, this sin involves more than just David and God. This isn't just David's sin in his own, own heart. This sin affected a lot of other people. This sin involved the murder of another person. I don't think anyone's going to go, well, no, wait, 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 that's, that's just between me and God, you know. This isn't that big of a deal, get off me. That's not what David is saying. What he is saying and what he is acknowledging in this confession, it's a denial of what the world would say. The world or what the culture would say is that sin is only sin or things are only really wrong as long as it hurts somebody else. And as long as nobody else is hurt, everyone's consenting adults, everybody's happy, you know, this isn't really hurting anyone at all, then everything is fine. That's what the world would say. So David's confession is the denial of that. He's saying this is sin not because I killed someone. This is not sin just because I am ruining and shattering lives and families because of all the effect that this sin will then have on my nation as well. No, this is sin because you say it's sin, God. That's why this is sin. Against you and you only have I sinned. He's not saying I haven't hurt anyone else. He is saying and acknowledging this is sin and this is wrong because you are God and you said not to do this and I did it anyway. Our sin is not primarily wrong because it harms other people. It's not primarily wrong because it even harms us. It's primarily wrong because it violates God's law. And because God says that it's sin. That, that is enough. God's sight is the only sight that matters. That's why he said this is evil in your sight. Your sight is the one that matters. Not Uriah's sight, not Bathsheba's sight, not Nathan's sight, not anyone's sight other than you, God. And if you say this is wrong then it is sin. This is also why we have to confess our sins to God. We don't confess our sins to just ourselves. We don't confess our sins just to another person that we've wronged, though that's not a bad step either. 
We don't confess our sins just to the universe. We confess our sins to the God of the universe. Because He and He alone is the one who can grant forgiveness. And David's confession, it also acknowledges the truth not about his sin and who his sin is really ultimately against. It's also the truth about himself. David's confession in verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not saying that I, you know, I was born out of wedlock or I'm also the product of adultery. What he's saying is from my very birth, I was born a sinner. This is the thing that we believe as Christians, is that all of us from the moment we are born, are born touched and affected by sin. And then from our first moment that we can choose, we then immediately choose sin and wrong as well. I've always liked the, the saying from my professors at, at DTS who say, Erasmus was a theologian who, would said, who denied this. He said, no, 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 people aren't born in sin, but he also didn't have any children. <laughs> now, Augustine, who had children, said, no, 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 we're, we're born sinful <laughs> right away. Okay, Calvin's two and a half. I'm teaching him a lot. He picks up on things a lot. It did not take long for him to figure out how to sin. I did not have to teach him that. Didn't have to give him any examples. Very quickly, he'd realize when he had done things wrong before, you know, because this is our nature. We are born in iniquity. And too often what we do in our confessions of sin is we always try to separate ourselves from it. We try and remove ourselves from it. We'll say, yes, I, I sinned, I did something wrong, but you know, I'm not a sinner. And Pastor, that, that's kind of, kind of heavy. Why would you say that? That's not very loving. That's not very nice. Don't use that kind of language. We shouldn't say things like that. That's not attracting people to Jesus. We prefer to think that our sins are really just one-time mistakes or aberrations or, or weird. They're out of character. I don't know how I did that. That's, that's not me. You'll see this all the time if you pay attention to public apologies. Okay, look at any politician, any athlete, any celebrity, any kind of public figure anywhere who has done or said anything that they are now in trouble for that they shouldn't have done or shouldn't have said. And everyone knows. They will always say things. It is, you will see this all the time when you do this. You will hear things like, you know, those who know me know that what I said or did doesn't reflect my heart or who I am. Or they'll say things like, I, I have no idea where this came from. This wasn't me. I can't believe I said that thing. I've never said that thing before. I promise. I'm not, I, I don't know where. Well, okay. Where did that come from then, do you think? They'll say, well, I'm really sorry that I hurt you. I'm sorry I let you down. I'm sorry I offended you with what I have done. Because none of us want to stand up and admit, hey, I'm a sinner. You know what? I did that and I said that wrong thing because I'm a wrong person who has wrong in their heart and I do wrong all the time. And here it was and it came out again. No, no, no. We don't like to do that. David doesn't mind admitting from the womb, from the very beginning, he is a sinner. That this act that, that he did, the, the worst sin in his life up to this point, it wasn't out of character. It wasn't out of nowhere. It was, no, this, I am a sinner, and this really is who I am. Every single one of us is born in sin. And true confession to God means not saying, God, I'm really sorry I did that. You know me, God. You know that I would never do that again. I don't know why I did that the first time. That's not true confession. True confession means admitting to God, you know what, God, I, I am a sinner. We have to admit the truth about ourselves. 
And the truth is we don't deserve grace. Truth is we don't deserve forgiveness. God does not owe us. God does not owe David absolution. He doesn't owe us salvation. He doesn't owe us anything. And this is why David in his confession asked God for mercy right away in verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God. Mercy is something we don't deserve. Unmerited favor, unmerited grace. Justice, the right thing, would be judgment. That's why David acknowledges, you know, you could bring judgment against me. It would be right and good, and yet you're not. Please, God, have mercy. Mercy is not something that is just the right thing to do. God showing us mercy isn't just because He's kind and really nice. And we're pretty good, so we deserve it. None of us, including David, deserve any kind of mercy. But David asks for mercy. And we can ask for mercy. And David asks for mercy, not based on himself. He'll say, have mercy on me, God, because I've been really good. Israel's come a long way. I've been a really good king for you. You've got to help me out. No, he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant Mercy, blot out my transgressions. David asks for mercy not based on himself, but based on God and who God is. It's not God, and this word that's used to describe here, this steadfast love, it's a Hebrew word has said, and it's really kind of covenant language. This love isn't um, love of like, well, God, you just have warm, fuzzy feelings towards me, and I know you really like me. I know we've had some wonderful times together, so have mercy on me. No, this covenant language is, well, God, you've made promises to us as your people. God, you made promises to Moses and in your law that if we would come and beg for forgiveness, if we would come and and ask forgiveness and admit our sins, then you would forgive us. Then you would give us mercy and grace. So based on your promises, based on who you are, based on your faithfulness, would you please have mercy? David asks mercy not because he knows that he deserves it, but because he knows that God gives it also as well. On your abundant mercy, that God, I know you are a God who gives plenty of mercy to those who do not deserve it. Would you give some more to me as well? So that is what proper confession does. Proper confession has to admit the truth about our sin and ourselves. So so when it's your turn to confess your sins to God, be honest. Don't blame other people. Don't blame your circumstances. Don't blame your upbringing, don't blame your parents, don't blame that other person. Come clean about who you are. Acknowledge that it's against him and him alone you've sinned because there's no true confession, there's no proper confession without honesty either. And we also, some of the other things that we can do here is when we confess, sometimes we hold things back. See, this is especially someone who's caught in sin or gets caught in trouble. When you ask them, to, okay, come clean, tell me what really happened, you'll see them try to figure out, well, what do you know? I don't know how much you know, so I know how much I'm going to confess. Maybe I'll give you a little more than you know, but not too much. Don't want to give you the whole thing. Well, look, God knows it all already. God knows every evil thing, every idle thought that you've ever considered, and all the ones that you will consider that you haven't even thought about yet. So when you confess too, don't hold back and try and pretty it up before God. Come clean and be honest. Because proper confession means we have to be honest about our sin and ourselves. Point number two. Is contrite confession creates a clean heart. Number two, if you're taking notes, is that contrite confession creates a clean heart. The reason David is confessing his sin is because he wants to be made clean. He doesn't just want mercy. 
He doesn't just want wipe the record clean, God. He wants to have a clean heart. So he asked God to take care of it. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7, wash, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit with me, in me. Over and over you hear David asking, make me clean. Wipe this guilt away. Give me a new heart. Sin is not just something that we do. It's not just a bad thing that we do and then, you know, it goes in a box or now it's on the scale of the bad things and here's a scale of good things and hopefully when we die there's more good things than bad things. Sin is not just that and also one sin is enough to tilt us all the way towards judgment. But sin is all, it's way more than that. Sin actually infects us as well. Sin enslaves us. Sin makes us dirty and unclean before God. Today, David understood what it meant to be unclean. In the Old Testament, they had all of these laws that can be tempting sometimes to skip over and we don't like to look at, but they're incredibly significant. All these laws about cleanliness. You'll see, hey, if you do this, if you touch that animal, you're unclean. Hey, if you have this disease, you're unclean. You need to go outside of the camp, do this, do that, do that. Why would God do that? Seems like God's just being a stickler. Well, the point of it is, is there are certain sins that they could commit or things that they could do that would make them unclean before God. And if you're unclean, you can't be in God's people in the same way. And you also, if you're unclean, you can't go into the temple and worship. You can't go before God because your dirtiness has to be dealt with. And the reason God did this too is because sin doesn't just, isn't just something you do. Sin ruins your relationship with God. And something has to make you clean before you can come back into that. And what David acknowledges and knows is this sin has made me dirty and unclean and only God can make me clean again. We cannot make ourselves clean. We cannot give ourselves clean hearts. We can't make ourselves unsinful or not sinners. We can't deal with our sins at all on our own. Verse 16, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You'd not be pleased with a burnt offering or I'd make it. David knows that his sin cannot be dealt with with sacrifices. He knows that it's not just because that was the whole point of sacrifices. If, and if you're making sacrifices every single day for all of the sins, that's a lot of animals that are going to be continually slaughtered. Eventually, you would get it. Oh, wow, I can't stop doing this. I think I really need grace. I guess only God can really give me forgiveness. It's not just that, that David understood, but it's also that David's sin can't be dealt with with sacrifices. Okay, there are provisions. If you look at Deuteronomy 19, there, it, there are laws for the kind of sacrifices and kind of things that can be done in cases of manslaughter, uh, of unintentional or passionate in the moment murder. But premeditated, spending lots of time plotting, thinking, doing it ahead of time, for that there's no provision. For that there's no sacrifice. That it says even if they go to the temple, bring them out and turn them over and then have them be executed. David knows that, well, according to your law, God, I deserve to be executed today, right now. There's no sacrifice. There's no thing I can do that can make me clean. The only thing that can deal with my sin is you. That's what David knows. We also need to remind ourselves, too, that we also can't wash ourselves and make ourselves clean. The only person who can make us clean 
is Jesus. That is the only one. All of our attempts to deal with our own sin, our attempts to pretty ourselves up, our attempts to become better people and, and you know, self-actualize and do it all on our own, they will all fail and none of them work. They are like if you had a shiny, brand new white rug. It was just the best and you put it in your dining room and you're really proud of it. Top of the line, you, you went overboard, you got the really expensive one so it's super comfy and it's just what you've always wanted. And then someone came into your house and dragged mud all over it. And that mud was kind of your sin. You said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this myself so I'm going to take this red wine and I'm going to dump it on it and just kind of just get it around. Maybe that'll get it out. You know, that ain't going to work. That's going to make it way worse. And you go, okay, you know what? We need to make this white again. We get some white paint. We put some white paint on this. See if that fixes it. And all you're going to do is have a muddy, red, painted, ruined carpet. That's what it's like when we try and deal with our sin ourselves. We might fool ourselves into thinking that we're making ourselves look better, but we're just ruining it and making it worse. We cannot clean ourselves without Jesus. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. The only thing we can contribute to making ourselves clean is a contrite confession of our sin. Is acknowledging before God brokenly that I, I'm a sinner and I, I've tried and I can't do it and God, please have mercy. Forgive me. Because we know, we confess it truthfully and long and beg that God would forgive us. Because if he doesn't, we know there's no way that we can get clean. We don't sacrifice. We really can't contribute a thing towards our forgiveness other than the sin. That's all we do. But what happens when God forgives us, what happens when he shows us that mercy is he does make us clean. Verse 9, he, he hides his face from our sins and he blots out all our iniquities. She to picture a book with all of your sins written on it. Okay, picture a big book. Okay, some of you more than others. You can picture your own book, but picture every single thing that you've ever thought, said, or done, every sin written down. I was jealous, new neighbor's car, July 12th. 7.15 a.m. <laughs> Got angry and judgmental at the news. June 12th, 7.25 a.m. And so on and so forth. Every single day of your life, picture that. All of them. The image of God and forgiveness is taking all of those pages and blotting them out as if they never existed. Taking white out and covering them all away. Not that God has amnesia and he forgets, but he chooses to blot out our iniquity. That's what the blood of Jesus does, is it wipes all the pages in our hearts and it makes us clean. It also gives us a new heart and a new life in verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. It's a prayer that God wouldn't just do that, that he wouldn't just wipe that book clean and then be done. Because so if that's all God did in forgiveness was wipe it clean, say, okay, restart, you know, smack us on the butt and say, get back in there, good luck. Okay, all that's going to happen is I'm going to start filling up that page again really quick. And I'm right back where I need again. 
Okay, hey, God, can I have another redo, please? Can we, can we try again? And then you should be stuck in this loop over and over and over again. That's why what David asks and what God gives us is he doesn't just give us a clean slate, but he gives us a new heart. When Jesus saves us, gives us salvation, and he doesn't just give us forgiveness, the Holy Spirit comes in and gives us new life. This is why we call becoming a Christian being born again. Because God changes our hearts. He doesn't make us perfect, but he makes us desire the things of God more than we desired all of our sin, more than we desired our own selfishness. That now our hearts long for Jesus. Yes, there's still a struggle, but it's a new heart. It's different than it was before. And this new heart leads to a new life. In verse 13, David's saying, Then you, you do this, God, and I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. In 18 and 19, then he moves and starts praying for Jerusalem and Zion and praying towards God. Do good in Zion and your good pleasure and build up the walls of Jerusalem. Because experiencing forgiveness, true forgiveness, it leads to life change. One, it just leads to excitement. You have to tell everyone else of the forgiveness and amazing work God has done in you. It's always, you forgive me, I'm running around and telling everyone, God forgave me. Even the heinous sinner that I am. Look at what I did and yet God still showed me mercy. So how do we, how do we get this new life, this deliverance and forgiveness? Well, it comes down to the person of Jesus. That's why the cross is central, not just because it's a cool symbol, but our Savior died on that cross, paying the penalty for all of our sins. He was the perfect lamb who actually could pay the penalty, even though he did not deserve it. He died in our place. And he was the only sacrifice, the true sacrifice that all of those sacrifices that they made in the Old Testament that we're looking towards, that were foreshadowing. They were hints along the way of just waiting till Jesus came and his blood was spilt on the cross for our forgiveness to make in us a clean heart. The blood of Jesus is what makes us clean. Because of Jesus, there is forgiveness for sinners. Because of Jesus, forgiveness is not dependent on ourselves, it's not dependent on becoming good people. Our forgiveness is just dependent on asking Jesus for mercy, and our forgiveness is dependent not on our work, but on the work of Christ. And look at verse 11 where David prays, you know, cast me not away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. David is, is praying, it's an interesting prayer, but David's praying that God's Holy Spirit wouldn't leave him. Again, remember, this is Old Testament. The Holy Spirit didn't descend on all believers until Acts 2 at Pentecost. But there are moments throughout the Old Testament that it describes the Spirit of God descending on particular people, particularly Saul, the guy who was king before David. And after some of Saul's sins that were also bad, and then he didn't repent of them, God's Word says his spirit left Saul, and it never came back. So when David is praying this, I can't help but think that in David's mind, he's thinking of Saul and how God took his spirit from Saul and it didn't come back. And he's saying, God, would that please not be me? It's a desperate prayer. I almost hear the desperation of God, please don't leave me. Don't kick me out of your presence. 
I don't want you to go away. Well, because of Jesus, that part is a prayer that we don't have to pray. Because of the assurance of salvation, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we can be sure that His Holy Spirit will not be taken away from us, no matter how much more we sin. Now, as Saul, or Paul says in Romans 7, that's not a reason to go sin more abundantly, but it's a reason to, be, to praise more abundantly and be thankful for God's gracious mercy. This is why Jesus on the cross said those three words, it is finished. It's all of our sin is dealt with. Because of Jesus, we can say things like once saved, always saved. Not because of us or ourselves or even our brilliant confessions, but because of the brilliant, magnificent work of Jesus. So when we pray as well, when you, when you ask for confession, when you, when you confess your sins with a contrite heart, not, not a fake heart, not a heart that's not actually broken up about your sin. Remember, when you ask for forgiveness truly, there is always grace available to contrite sinners. There is not a sinner that God holds back His grace from that's not asking desperately for it. There is no sin you can commit. There is no thing that you can do that God will not forgive you of. You are not unlovable. You are not too far from His grace. As long as you throw yourself at His feet, you cannot out God's grace. No matter how much we desperately try some days. Point number three is, is really our application. And so how can we, how can we do this? And when we can do this, you're taking notes, is we'll confess your sin as often as you can should confess our sin as often as we can. Or really, you should confess your sin as often as you sin. Which depends on you on how often that's going to be. Not just how often you sin, but how often you decide you're going to confess that. Every single one of us in this room has sins that we should confess. Probably even this morning. We have sinned this morning already. Many of us will sin again before we go to lunch. Maybe as soon as we get out in the parking lot. Or as soon as we get to the four-way stop and someone doesn't do it right or the way that you wish that they would have. Or before you go to bed, you will do something that requires confession. And confessing sin is a normal part of the Christian life. This should be a normal rhythm, normal thing that we do. Confession, yes, it's part of how we enter into the Christian life. As non-believers, we come before Jesus and we throw ourselves and we confess that we are sinners and need His grace. But that should not be the first and only time that you ever confess your sin. If you're a follower, if you're a believer in Jesus, you should be confessing your sin normally and repetitively. To be a, a Christian really is to confess your sin, I think, as often as you can. This is what Christians do. Well, uh, first, it may be helpful to talk, well, if you're, you're not a Christian, what do, I, what do I mean by this? Well, some of you in this room, or maybe you're watching later, you might not know Jesus. Maybe you consider yourself spiritual. Maybe you are interested in the things of God, or maybe you're interested in many religions, or maybe you even call yourself a Christian, but you've never really confessed your sins. You've never admitted and confessed that Jesus is the only thing that can make you clean. That Jesus is the only way towards salvation. Well, that's something that you need to confess now. Now, I'm not going to lead you in, in the sinner's prayer right now, that it's fine. The sinner's prayer really is just a prayer of confession. 
It's a prayer of acknowledging, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I desperately need your forgiveness. Please give it to me. That's another good prayer of confession to pray. It acknowledges that you need Jesus and you need forgiveness. So if that's you, I'd invite you to confess your sins this morning because there is forgiveness for you. There is absolution. There is grace waiting, waiting for you. It's at your fingertips, but the only way you can get it is through Jesus and through confessing honestly your sins and placing your faith and your trust in Him. So I invite you to be honest with God about your sin and how much you need Jesus. I invite you, even if you don't know how to, how to pray, pray Psalms 51. Just read it and before God say, Lord, let this be my prayer of confession. Now, for those of you who are believers, you too still need to confess your sin. Again, this isn't something you do one time and we're done. This is something we should do normally. We, we should confess our sins often. And I think it's helpful to think about confessing our sins as often as we realize that we're, we sin. In Thessalonians, Paul tells us we should be praying continually. When you talk about, well, how do you do that? Right? How do you always stay in prayer throughout the whole day? Well, here's a really good way to stay in prayer throughout the day. Every time you sin during the day, why don't you then stop and pray about it? If you do that, I promise you, you will be praying a lot more often during the day than you have been before. You could just do that alone and you may find yourself praying continually. But I, I'm serious. That, I think that is what we should be doing. If we're not doing that, what does that say? If we have sinned and we know we've sinned, we know we've wronged that person and we've sinned against God and we decide, you know what, I'm just going to do my own thing for a bit, God. Maybe later I'll confess. Maybe I'll wait till Sunday. Maybe I'll wait till we take communion and pastor reminds me that we should confess our sins. I'll, I'll pray then. Maybe before I go to bed, I'll confess. I don't know if I want to do it right now. I need to just sit in my, my sin for a little bit. Does that sound like somebody who has a clean heart that really loves Jesus? Uh, we need to be confessing our sins often. I think that's one of the, the best things we can do. You should all, I mean, you can confess your sins at night before you go to bed. That's a good way to confess. It's good to end the day not having anything left between you and God. Confess your sins in the morning before you start. Confess before meals, or, but really, I think, just as often as you can. Find time when you are actually confessing your sins to God. Pray your own prayers. I think this psalm would be a great one. This is a psalm. I've prayed this psalm a lot this week and just used it to confess my own sin. Find corporate prayers of confession. There's Puritan books. There's Valley of Vision. There's one that I love that has lots of corporate prayers. Find myself praying some of those, and I find myself confessing sins that I hadn't thought about. But as soon as I saw someone else write it down and say it was a sin, I thought, oh, yeah, I've done that too this week. Hadn't even thought about it. So I think it's good to do, do both of those because if I'm only praying my own words and I'm only usually confessing the sins I'm thinking about or knowing about, which is not all of them. But after, as often too as you confess your sin, I hope, and I don't mean this to leave you filled with shame, but I, we confess our sins so often because there is grace and forgiveness available to us. We do not do it so we are just being self-afflicting and making ourselves feel terrible. We do this because God's grace is so wonderful and amazing, and it's there for us. All we have to do is ask for it, so why wouldn't you? 
That is why we confess our sins, because Jesus always promises forgiveness. For the contrite, for the sinner who comes to God begging for mercy, there is always mercy to be found. And so we confess our sins, not hoping to gain something or become something or to be very impressive. We confess our sins because mercy is available to us wherever we are, no matter what we've done. You cannot outsin God's grace. So we've been this morning, kind of a summary of point number one is that we confession admits the truth about our sin and ourselves, that to properly confess, we have to admit the truth about our sin. We cannot hold back. We cannot blame other people. We have to stand before God and say, God, I am a sinner, and what I have done is wrong, and I know it. Please give me forgiveness. Point number two is that contrite confession creates a clean heart. When we confess properly and we are broken about our sin and we beg God for mercy, He gives it to us. He always gives it to us. Salvation is available. And number three, your application is that we should confess our sins as often as we can or as often as we do sin. All day long, every single day, as long as we live, we should be confessing our sin. Not just so that God hears our prayers, but also so that we can be reminded and continually receive forgiveness and grace and mercy from God. So confess your sins. Receive God's forgiveness and mercy and be reminded over and over of the assurance of salvation. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I, I thank you for your grace. Lord, I thank you that we don't lose it. I thank you that even as often as we sin, your forgiveness is there. Lord, that the blood of Jesus covers all of our past sins and all of our future sins. Lord, I just ask that you would help us to pray and confess our sins correctly. Lord, we, we can often be such sinners that we don't even do this right, and we just need even more of your grace. Just ask that you would give it, that you would forgive us. Lord, I ask for, for those who may be in this room or, or watching later who don't know you, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would, you would show them and help them see the, the wonderful grace and forgiveness and mercy that is available to all who confess their sins to you. Lord, I just ask that you would give us all clean hearts. Lord, I thank you for the work that you have done in us and the work that you're continuing to do in us. Lord, would you forgive us for our sin? Would you help us to worship you in a way that brings you honor and glory? We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. If you would stand as we continue to worship in song. I'm so grateful for the blood that makes us as white as snow and washes away all of our sins. Let's hear this benediction from the end of Ephesians 6. Peace be to the brothers and sisters in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love uncorruptible. Go in peace.
Have a great week.